Good morning. Welcome to Mission View Church. My name is Matt. This is your first time here. Mission View, welcome. So glad you're here. Join us for worship this morning. Ah, we have been going through the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And um, like Amy came up, did prayer time this morning, shared we have our uh, dwell prayer meeting next Monday night. We're real excited about that. Invite you to come to that. A time of extended prayer, worship, and hearing testimony. It's been um, awesome to be able to do that and love to see you there for that. All right. We're going to be looking at kind of a, a longer text of scripture today. Three different accounts in the life of Christ. A lot, a lot is packed into these verses. And one of the there's one, one big thing that comes out of this, and it really talks about what success looks like. What success looks like. And how do we gauge success today? What does success look like to you? How do we measure greatness? Is it social status? Is it followers on our Instagram? Is it money, wealth, or power? Is it what we leave for our children or leave enough even for our grandchildren? Is Greatness being respected, feared, or envied? Does our definition of greatness change depending on our environment? I mean, I ask you this question here this morning, what is greatness? And we're sitting here in church. Does it change the answer to that question? If somebody were to ask us maybe Wednesday, what is greatness to you? As we've looked at the life of Christ in the book of Mark, we have seen Jesus challenge our view of greatness over and over and over again. And and one of the, the common themes throughout the first 10 chapters of Mark has been this call to humility. This call to humility where Jesus challenges the pride of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. These religious leaders that would come against him and and, and really try and get him to misstep or say something wrong. They were out to get him. And then we see Jesus challenge the pride of the disciples over and over and over again. And we see it again today. Jesus keeps pointing us to what true greatness in the kingdom of God is. And really what true greatness is for us today. And true greatness is found in humility. That's what Jesus says over and over again. Jesus came and flipped our world upside down. He said last week that the first will be last and the last will be first. He's taught us humility and modeled meekness and strength. Jesus modeled true greatness. And today we're going to see the same in these three accounts. Now, as we go through this, this longer text, there's two things I want to, you to keep in mind, and I'll remind you of it as we go through these things. And it's these two things. Jesus modeled these things for us to follow his example. Jesus modeled these things, and he did these things so that we would follow in his example. And the second one is this. He modeled these things to reveal the heart of the Father. Jesus said, if you see me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So everything that he does, everything that he says is to show us who the Father is, our Father in heaven is. So those are the two things I want us to remember as we look into God's word this morning. Let's go ahead and pray before we jump into Mark chapter 10. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that it is true, that it is relevant for us today. God, I pray that you would give me the words to share, Father. 
And God, I pray for our hearts that as we hear your word, that the, your spirit would bring this truth to life in our hearts, that it would change us and grow us, that we would walk out of here different people than when we walked in because we've met with our creator. God, we give you all glory and honor and praise. We worship you this morning. We bow before you. We humble ourselves before you. We say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Right here, right now, in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to be picking up in verse 32 where we left off last week. And God's word says this. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will arise. This is the third time that we've seen Jesus prophesy, foretell his own impending death and his resurrection. Powerful, powerful, supernatural. This is Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And the first thing I kind of want us to think through as we go through this is the first filling in your notes today is this. is Jesus modeled ultimate selflessness. Jesus modeled ultimate selflessness. Disciples, you might have picked up on it, says they were amazed and they were afraid. And the disciples were amazed that Jesus would continue on to Jerusalem because that is where he would die. Now think about this. Jesus is making his way up this hill to Jerusalem and and he's told the disciples that he's going there to die. Not only die, but he's going to be tortured. He says he's going to be spit on and mocked and he's going to die. Uh, think about this. As the disciples are walking behind him, there's this, this I think it says it in Luke, his, that Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem. He's ahead of the pack. He's going. His, his mind is made up, and he's going. And there's going behind him saying, this, this is crazy. He is, he's going to die, but he is driven. He is set, and he is going. And they're afraid, too, and they should be, Right? Here is Jesus, the Messiah, and they're following him, listening to his teachings, and he's telling them that he's going to die. But he would rise again, he says. You see, Jesus knows the great pain and agony he would suffer at the hands of the Romans who had perfected torture and crucifixion. He would be beaten to the point where he would be unrecognizable. His flesh would be torn from his body, his face. His head would be cut with thorns. His side would be sliced open. He was pierced for our sins, our iniquities. How could he be so determined? How could he have his face set? How could he walk ahead of everyone, leading everyone else to witness his death? How could he be so ready for such devastation and suffering. I don't know about you, but when I think and I know that I'm going to suffer, I don't go there. I avoid suffering at all costs. Anybody else with me on this one? Like, I'm fighting a little bit of cold right now, and I'm just like, oh, you know, man cold, right? You familiar with man cold, right? We get, I, get the, I get the sniffles, and I'm like, oh, I need to stay in bed. I'll get up around noon. 
No, we have that dentist appointment that we're all so looking forward to. Now, you know, the week before you call and say, hey, I'm going to have to back that up. You know, something came up and you back it up, you back it up. And then two years later, you're like, I probably should really get into the dentist. Right? We don't enjoy suffering. We avoid it at all costs. There's just something bad about suffering, right? We don't like it. How could Jesus? We think about a little cold or the things that we're going through. Jesus being God, he knows what he's about to face. A horrific, torturous death. How could he how could he be so determined? I mean, how could he lead everyone in this journey to the cross? How could he do it? In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, God's word says this is looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Today, we are looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross, how? By keeping his eyes and his heart set on the joy before him. He despised the shame, but knew, now get this, he knew that eternity awaited, that he would be seated at the right hand of God the Father. He knew he was making a way for all of us, that the suffering he would face, he knew what would come of it. He knew that so many would look to him in their brokenness and in their shame and in their sin, and they would find salvation. They would find hope that they were desperate for. Jesus looked to, believed in, trusted, and was fully aware of eternal things. He didn't let the temporary distract him from the eternal. For the joy that was set before him. You see, Jesus modeled ultimate selflessness because he was completely convinced of the ultimate joy. He was completely convinced of the ultimate joy. And that ultimate joy is life eternally in paradise with our Savior God. It's easy for us to go through this life and get distracted by these temporary sufferings, these temporary things that encroach on the ease of life or the goals or plans that we have. And, and I don't want to minimize what you're going through. I don't, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe it's something horrendous. Maybe it's something so difficult you don't even know how you're going to make it to the other side of it. But I do know this that the joy that you have set aside for you with God, with Jesus for all eternity is so, so amazing. The Bible talks about heaven and it talks, it says things like streets of gold and crystal seas and, and just emeralds and all these gemstones and this beauty that is really, really unexplainable. 
where there's no more sin and there's no more suffering at all. Can you believe that? No more cancer, sickness, anything, nothing. There's no more tears. Everything that we have faced and and everything we see in our world, the wars and the rumors of wars and the the sickness and pandemics and, and evil all around us, all of it is going away. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to make all the wrong things right. But we get distracted. We get sidetracked by these these difficulties and these struggles that grab our attention. And they grab our attention through pain, right? It's not easy. It's not easy keeping our minds set, our eyes set on eternal things. I think one of the greatest lacks in the church today is true teaching on heaven. Think about it. A life without temptation, a life without sin, a life without sickness, a life without cancer, a life without wars, a life without social fighting and and backbiting and betrayal where you are who you are in Christ perfectly, always, for all eternity, with no worries or concerns, just joy, that is what awaits you, Christian. Wow. Man, if we could wrap our minds around that truth, how would we live today? How would we live today? Ultimate joy will be found in eternity. We forget that eternal joy because of the suffering that we face today sometimes. Now remember the two things I wanted us to really kind of remember as we walked through this. That Jesus modeled these things so that we would follow his example. But he also modeled these things to reveal the Father's heart to us. Jesus endured the suffering for the joy that was set before him. Jesus modeled ultimate selflessness so that we would follow in that example, that you and I would walk in selflessness and think of others before ourselves. But one of the most beautiful things that we see in this Christ's face set towards the suffering he would endure is his love for you and me. And Jesus going to his death, marching up that hill, going to Jerusalem, knowing what he would endure, he did it because he loves you. Not only did he model selflessness so that we would do it, he modeled selflessness and showed us the Father's heart, that God the Father loves you so much, so much that he would endure great suffering, the greatest suffering that anyone would ever face, God endured for you and me. Jesus didn't just model it so that we would walk in his footsteps. He modeled it to show us the great and amazing love of God the Father for you and me. Jesus loves you. The only way we can follow Christ's example is by seeing and understanding the Father's love poured out for us through Jesus. You see, I love those two things that I talked about, that Jesus modeled it so that we would follow him. 
But he modeled it to show us the Father's love for us because in seeing the Father's love in Christ enables us to follow in his footsteps. It's the gospel. You see, we, we don't do to achieve and, and, and do. We recognize, we are revealed, is revealed to us God's love for us in Christ. And that's what empowers us. That's what motivates us. That's what inspires us to follow in his footsteps. It is the gospel of Jesus. Let's pick it up again in verse 35 and continue on. And James and John, the sons of... I love this part of the text. I'll just stop right here. Right? I mean, 10 chapters, people. Uh, Here we go, right? The disciples following Jesus. He points them to humility over and over and over again. And get this. Here we go, right? Fasten your seatbelts. Don't get frustrated with them. Because we're like them a lot of the time. So here we go. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's hard to even say that. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus modeled ultimate servitude. That's the second filling in your notes. Jesus modeled ultimate servitude. The disciples want greatness and glory. But Jesus knows what greatness and glory in the kingdom of God looks like. And it's nothing like what the disciples had in mind. We want to sit at your right hand and your left hand in your glory. Us, James and John, you know, we're closest to you, right? It's, it's us, and we want to sit at your right hand. Jesus says to him, you don't know what you're asking. You have no idea what you're getting yourselves into. You don't know what you're trying to bring on yourselves. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? Oh, yeah, sure we are. Yeah, you have no idea. Jesus says, you will drink it. He's talking about suffering. The cup that Jesus drinks is the wrath of God the Father poured out on him for the sins of the world.
Jesus talks about suffering and he talks about being a servant. This is not how you gain followers on Instagram and Facebook, people. Right? This isn't how you become powerful and gain a bunch of followers. Hey, go be a servant. First shall be last, last shall be first. James and John just had Jesus tell them that the, the most of the disciples would be martyrs. That they would suffer greatly for the gospel or the good news of Jesus. Has anyone ever told you that being a Christian would be easy? I mean, that it's, it's going to be great. You just, you just give your life to Jesus and your life, it's, it's going to turn things around for you. It's going to be rainbows and unicorns. It's going to be money in your bank account. It's, it's going to be just amazing. You're going to be healthy, wealthy, and it's going to be awesome. Just give your life to Jesus. And then they, they don't tell you about like where it says to pick up your cross daily. They don't tell you that Jesus says that you need to be a servant to everyone, a slave to all. We call that the bait and switch, right? Jesus, I mean, he speaks right to the heart of this pride going after glory idea. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. This is, this is not kind leadership that he's talking about. This isn't servant leadership. These are abusive, abusive leaders. Dictators. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great must be your servant. As we pursue things in the kingdom of God, we're pursuing humility. We're pursuing servanthood. We're pursuing selflessness. That's what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like. You want to be great? I'm telling you to be a slave. You want power? I'm telling you to serve. And then he goes to the very far end of the spectrum. He goes, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Let that one sink in for just a second. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. He could stop for one second and think, I am not going to sustain life anymore, and boom, it would all be over. Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things, left heaven, the paradise that we just talked about, that we're all longing for, put on flesh, humbled himself, became a servant. He says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. What? It's like bizarro world. Where is this? It's upside down. It's right side up. It's backwards. It's everything opposite of what we've been raised to think and know. You want greatness, you make people do what you tell them to do. You want, you want to be feared. You want power. You want to be in that position where people will do whatever you say, right? No. No, that's not greatness. Slave, servitude. I mean, it's upside down. 
The definition of greatness shifts so radically when we look to the life of Christ. For even I came not to serve, be served, but to serve. And then he goes that whole another level again and to give my life as a ransom for many. See this idea of servitude that Jesus talks about He goes as far as to give his life. To give his life. Jesus died to show us true love, true servitude, true selflessness. And to make a way for you and me. Pick it up in verse 46. It says they came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd... Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. They called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Here we see Jesus model ultimate compassion. It's the last filling in your notes today. Jesus modeled ultimate compassion. Jesus is our hope for eternity, but he's also our hope here and now. He's our hope and our help right here and right now because he loves us and is compassionate. This this whole scenario and and account of these things is mind-boggling to me. We have this picture of Jesus going to his impending death, sharing the, for the third time, sharing with his disciples, I'm about to go be tortured, mocked, spit on, and die at the hands of the Romans, crucifixion, just this horrific death. He's leading the pack. He's going with everyone following him. They're behind him, afraid, not, you know, not knowing how this is all going to go down. They get to Jericho and this... This guy's yelling at Jesus, but he's on a mission, right? He's going. He's got his face set. He is working his way to Jerusalem. He's on a mission. And he stops. He stops. Why? Why would he stop? I mean, back in, 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 in Jesus' time... Someone who was blind like Bartimaeus, they they offered and contributed nothing to society. They were insignificant. They were completely ignored. They were beggars all over the place. I mean, they, they they had the cardboard sign, homeless, help. And thousands and thousands of cars would just drive by and just ignore them. But Jesus being on a mission, I mean, he he had to go and do what God the Father had for him to do, stops right there. See, Jesus, that's the love of God the Father. We pray and and we we look at the things that we're going through in life, we're like, oh, God, I, 
I, I need you here. And sometimes we look at the things going on in our life and we're thinking, man, this is just, this is insignificant. I mean, there's, there's people in the world praying right now that have like real problems, real issues going on. I mean, this little thing that I'm going through, I mean, God's so busy. He's got so much going on. He's the whole world, billions of people pray that he's got all this going on. And he's surely, surely he's not hearing my prayers. I mean, you know, it's, he's not really concerned about me losing my job or he's not concerned about, you know, the doctor's report so far for me, you know, and you know, he, he's not going to take the time. Jesus shows us the father's heart. And, and the things that we may think are insignificant, the things that we may think that God doesn't have time for, God's not thinking of, Jesus stops, even though his face was set, even though he knew what was coming for him, the death and torture, he took the time to call Bartimaeus to him and say, you know what, I love you, I see you, I care about you. Get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I love Bartimaeus' response to this, right? It says he followed, got up and followed Jesus, right? We just had the account of the rich young ruler who didn't. He went his own way because his wealth had his heart. But Bartimaeus sees Jesus for who he is, son of David, the Messiah, Help me see. And Jesus took the time because he had love and modeled ultimate compassion for us. Like I said earlier, I don't know what you're going through in life, but I do know this. God sees it. And he knows it. And he's not ignoring you. He's not too busy for you. He doesn't have all these things lined up that that would take his mind off you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. And the things that we may think are insignificant, the things that we may hesitate to bring before him, he says, come to me. All who are weak and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. And if there's... If there's only one thing that we walk out of here today with, let it be this, that Jesus loves you, that God the Father loves you, and you are not insignificant. One of my favorite texts in all of Scripture, and I I say it is probably one of the deepest theological texts in all of Scripture, is two words, and it says this, Jesus wept. The Son of God, the Creator and Sustainer of all things, the One who knows the beginning and the end, wept. Jesus wept. We don't, we don't pray to a God who is disconnected from our suffering. We don't, we don't cry out to Jesus and He's some little harp-playing angel on a cloud somewhere We cry out and we pray to a God who put on flesh and walked out a human life and understands temptation and understands suffering and understands death 
and understands sickness and understands all the things that we struggle with and go through. And he weeps. He weeps with us in our suffering and in our brokenness. And he never, ever, ever leaves your side. I know this, no matter what you're going through, Jesus is right there with you. And there's not a tear that is shed that is wasted in the kingdom of God because God is ultimately compassionate and he loves you. Now you may be here today, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you haven't surrendered your life to him. The Bible says that all who would look to Jesus for salvation would be saved. And what that means is this, this belief and understanding that we can't save ourselves. There's, there's no amount of good deeds we can do that will make up for the sins in our lives. That God is perfect and righteous and he demands perfect perfection and righteousness that none of us can do. And so he sent Jesus to live a perfect life. And then die a sinner's death, taking our sins on himself and dying. His blood was shed for our sins. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, defeating death and sin for all who would put their trust and belief in him. And now, when we trust in Jesus for our salvation, when we go to heaven, we don't go to the pearly gates and hand over our resume of good deeds. Or bad deeds. We hand over Jesus' resume. Perfect, completely righteous. And it's putting, it's acknowledging our brokenness and sin and acknowledging the perfect life that Jesus led for us. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation, to merit that kind of grace. It's just trusting in God for Him, for that salvation. If you haven't given your life to Jesus today, do it today. Put your trust in Him. And Christians that are here, know that Jesus is with you. Right now, right here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we see mind-blowing selflessness, compassion, kindness. And it, it reveals to us your love for us. We don't deserve it, God. We don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve this love that you so freely give to such broken people. But God, you do it anyways. So we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for what he's done for us. We thank you for the love that you have for us. I just pray for those here right now that don't know you, Father, that you would reveal yourself to them even now as they're listening online or sitting in their seats right here, Father. Reveal yourself to them. Draw them unto yourself as only you can do. And for those of us here that do know you, Father, we want to know you more. We need more of you in our lives. So come, Lord, more and more every day. Reveal yourself to us and grow us up in you for your kingdom and for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you'd like to receive prayer today, or maybe you've given your life to Jesus for the first time, we're going to have um, our prayer team up here come forward. And probably about halfway through this song, we'd love to have you come forward and pray with you. Maybe you're going through something really difficult. We want to pray with you for that too. So don't leave today uh, without getting prayer. We would love to pray with you. But let's stand and worship this last song.